Hi, this is Michelle, and this is the next episode of Not A Standard. So today we have a special guest who is someone I truly admire on social media. On paper, she's a licensed psychologist who specializes in anxiety, burnout, and perfectionism. And she's also the creator of the Perfectly Human course, which is geared towards individuals who want to move from a constant state of overwhelm to a state of calm and groundness. Who doesn't want that? What I admire most about her is her vulnerability and transparency on social media as a therapist and her own struggles with anxiety and depression. I feel like anybody who is able to share these kinds of things online is one heck of a superhuman because it just shows that we're all human, or as she would say, perfectly human. So without further ado, I'd like to officially welcome Carolyn Rubenstein to the podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Oh, I'm so excited too because I admire the same things in you. I think that's what like mm-hmm. drew me to you too. Yeah, is that you're so vulnerable online, and it's like it's so easy to like see it and people to see it, but it's so hard to do, and it takes like so much repeated practice. And I was, mm-hmm. like, we've both been doing it like over the years, and it's it gets more comfortable like over time, but it's hard to be yeah. vulnerable. Yeah, it makes it like acceptable to feel like a certain way. Yeah, um, I feel like even coming into this podcast, like I'm coming out of like a funk. So it's like, mm. do I feel like doing this? Yes, no, but I'm going to show yeah. up and feel whatever I'm feeling. And it's going to be awesome. I know. I know that feeling <laughs> very well. Yeah. yeah. And you just like some days, it's just like, I'm going to do it. And whatever comes up, comes up. And that's okay. Yeah, it's perfectly human. <laughs> Human. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you are okay with it, I'd just like to dive right into my questions. I know. I love questions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you don't mind starting out, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in your own words? Yeah. So I'm you, I mean, you said it much more poetically than I ever could. <laughs> um, I am a psychologist uh, licensed in Florida. So it's like the main, you know, credential part. Um, I work in private practice. So I work with people who are struggling with many different things, but usually the common threads are anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, overthinking, um, being human, because I think that's a struggle that we all have, and um, some trauma in there, depression. I think literally every human issue is um, Mm -hmm. what I see in my practice. And also showing up online and sharing online as a clinician, but also as a human. So that I really want to try to destigmatize this profession because I know going into it myself, I saw it as something that it wasn't, um, you know, this very stigmatized, like we don't know anything about the clinician. This person is a you know, blank slate and that's just not true. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has to be that way. And so I'm trying to shift that at least for the for the people that want that, um, to show that there are other options. And um, that's kind of where I'm at. And I love it. It's very freeing and so empowering when you're able to like redefine your own path. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when you struggle with anything, you know, you almost feel like it disqualifies you from probably becoming a therapist or being a podcast host. Like I know I've spoken about this many, many times before on my podcast. Like I have anxiety, but I still do these because mm-hmm. got it continue doing the things you struggle with. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, if you're not going to let anxiety win, anxiety is telling mm-hmm. you not to do it. So you're like, you're going to do your screw it and do it. Right. You're yeah, like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like, okay, anxiety, you're coming on with me then. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do it together. Yeah. So, so then what inspired you to get into psychology? Um, so it's a little bit of a, a background. So I grew up going to a camp for children with cancer. I never had 
cancer. Um, and so my parents, very close friends, ran a camp though for children with cancer called Camp Sunshine in Maine. And I went almost every summer as a kid. And I grew up from a very young age with friends who were going through cancer, not really knowing even when I was young what that was or what that even meant. Um, but as I got older, I started to realize and I started to deal with grief. Um, I lost very close friends at a young age um, and seeing other people struggle and deal with things that I wasn't dealing with. Um, and so there was a lot of pain, a lot of emotions that I saw growing up that I didn't see in my normal life. And I was very affected by them. And so I wanted to help. And so I went into helper mode and I um, did had a pen pal um, foundation. I created pen pals for kids that were in the hospital because this was like before like social media or like even IMing or even there was email, but it was like dial up. I mean, this is back in the stone <laughs> ages. So it was a while ago. Um, but so I did that and that was like one way of helping. And then as I got older and a lot of my friends were getting older, they were like swamped with medical bills. They'd missed so much school. And so they were not able to get like any financial aid to go to college or anything because they just did not fit the criteria. And so I created a college scholarship program to give college scholarships to childhood cancer survivors to help them to go to college despite, and you know, especially because of what they have triumphed over and to mm. move forward. And so that was kind of my entry point to psychology because I got to college thinking, I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to work with cancer. I'm going to cure mm -hmm. cancer, all of that. And I will first quickly realize when I started to work in the hospital that like, I can't handle blood. I get like, <laughs> I'm not very good with that. So like, this might not be the best profession for me. And so, but what I realized was like, oh, I'm here every day and I'm actually helping. I'm not physically healing them, but I'm helping through support. There's a huge part of the battle that's mental. And so I took a psychology course with like literally never thinking like psychology. I, I mm -hmm. really never thought of it. And I fell like madly in love. Like it was like a love yeah. affair. And I just kept taking and just kept becoming more fascinated and more just in love with it you know it really I haven't stopped and just really just kind of fell into it yeah that's awesome like do yeah. you think that helping other people helped you overcome the grief or did you do anything else in addition oh to yeah no I definitely did other things I don't think I dealt with it I definitely didn't deal with it as a child. I think as a mm -hmm. child, I dealt with it by doing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where like my perfectionism and those traits, like those, they did help me at that time mm -hmm. to get through it. And that's why, you know, a lot of the things that we develop as coping skills, they help us for a period of time, but mm -hmm. then they're not very helpful, you know, beyond it. Um, but so for me, as I recognize like, whoa, I have a lot of grief, a lot of trauma, like I started going to therapy in college and started to see like, well, I can get help for this. This is something mm -hmm. that I can, you know, deal with and work through. And I've been in therapy myself ever since then um, mm -hmm. and never stopped, never gave that up. Um, and it's just a part of my life uh, now, whereas I am always working on it because that's a, it's a lot of grief because I had no boundaries. It's not like a mm -hmm. clinician who's in that profession, you know, surrounded by kids passing away at, at mm -hmm. large numbers like I was a child so it really was not there's no I really had no comparison group or anyone else to kind of relate to um and felt very alone and so still you know get triggered all of that and you know there's 
all of that. So it's just a nonstop dealing with that. But then, then doing my own stuff, you know, develops as a driven human and going into very competitive academic situations and dealing with burnout and balancing life and relationships and, mm -hmm. and all of these fun things that we get to do. Um, I had to kind of help myself, but also receive help. So kind of mm -hmm. both, both sides. And, and I have I no like idea if I answered your question there. Yeah, you terrible. did. Yeah, I feel okay. like it's so hard to even just like reestablish those boundaries because I know also like I'm a helper. Like I liked helping mm -hmm. other people instead of dealing with my own stuff and all the grief and the trauma and everything else. And I feel like when you realize like that you have to set boundaries, like I feel like it's so hard. Like how do you how do you set boundaries and not feel like a bad person? It's it's so hard. And when I first started <laughs> doing it, it was like it was hard because it I had to let down a lot of people like I so mm -hmm. I was running a nonprofit and I had to actually end my nonprofit because I couldn't I couldn't maintain it and due to burnout grief all of the components so like mm -hmm. that was a boundary that like let down a lot of people and hurt a lot of people but I knew that like I needed to take care of myself or there was nothing else that could happen. Like I, I couldn't be there for other people. There was, I had nothing left to give. And so, you know, you get to a point where you're so depleted and there's nothing mm -hmm. left that you realize like, I don't have a choice. Like, so I got to that point where it's like, I don't have a choice. Like I'm, I'm going to lose out here on everything if I don't take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, then I think once you get to that point, you're like, I am never getting to that point again. Um, yeah. And you and you figure out ways to set up like safeguards and setting boundaries earlier rather than later. So you never get to that place again. Um, and if someone thinks you're a mean person for protecting yourself and keeping yourself safe and taken care of, they're not the person to be in your life. Like it's just not the right, not the, not the right connection, not the right relationship. And that's a hard lesson and painful, but it's really what we need because people that are going to constantly take from us and not understand our need to take care of our own selves, mm -hmm. just, it's not okay. You know, in every situation in work and as a clinician, like I, I have to cancel a lot, not, not a lot, mm -hmm. but like I have issues and I'll, I'll have my kids will be sick or I'll have my own boundaries and I'll be like, I can't handle all of this. And mm -hmm. if my clients didn't understand, they, they're not the right, I'm not the right fit for them because I'm mm -hmm. not going to be a robot. Um, yeah. and I think it's, it's really realizing that you have to, it's self-preservation. And if you're in something for the long run, you have to take care of yourself, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's a relationship, work, whatever it is, like we, we aren't, you know, cars, we're not anything like that. We have to, our health, all of that, as you know, mm -hmm. so well, if we take it for granted, it, it can fall apart so quickly. Yeah. And I feel like healing from anything is like a double-edged sword because you start to realize which relationships are not good for you, who's taking from you. Like, yeah. it's just so hard because I feel like you're doing better, but you're seeing all of your old life fall apart. And yeah. it's like, okay, what's, what's my new life look like? It's like going into like that uncertainty. At least that's how it felt for me. Yeah. That bl <laughs> and you have to have like blind faith, like in yourself and you have to be willing to bet on yourself. You know, like if, if anyone, it's like, I'm going to bet on me that I can do this and I can, and that you'll make the right choices moving forward and surround mm -hmm. yourself with the right people. And if you don't also knowing that you will be strong enough to pivot if necessary um, mm -hmm. and, and notice and do it because we do, right? We, it's not like we heal and then everything's perfect because it's not, 
we mess up, we go through, you know, really hard situations continuously. And it's just trusting that we will navigate them maybe a little bit differently in the mm -hmm. future. Um, and as yeah. best as we can. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I thought that once I got healthy, like everything would be easy and perfect. And like, even I mentioned now, it's like, I'm coming out of a hard week. It's like, it happens. And I feel like part of um, getting better is realizing that it's not linear. And I think that's part of like what I wanted to do with this podcast is like show that life doesn't have to be perfect to be great. Yeah, no, I think that's such an important point because it is. And I think you're right. We all have that mentality of like, oh, oh there's going to be like a finish line mm -hmm. where like the pain's over and the healing is like this beautiful horizon and we're here mm -hmm. and we don't struggle again. But it, it's not. It's it's like we have those periods of struggle and it's just knowing that we will navigate them differently, right? And mm -hmm. knowing that this is a bunk and it's not my whole life, right? Like I'm going to come out of this. I'm going to be okay. Um, versus when you are in something and you're healing, like truly healing, like you're almost like in the bottom of a hole. Like you can't really mm -hmm. see anything else. But when you are kind of from that place of healing, you know, like this is a funk. This is kind of a bump and I'm mm -hmm. going to get over it. Yeah. And with that said, like, I know that even on your Instagram, like you've noted, like you've said that you are like currently struggling with depression. Like, I think this was like about a year ago or something. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I yeah. feel like you share those things. Like, mm -hmm. like, what do you do daily to prevent yourself from getting stuck back in that hole? Yeah. So I went through depression for the first time, probably I was in grad school. So I was like, it has to be over 10 years ago. And it was horrible, right? Depression is the worst. Like, I'll take anxiety any day. Like, I, anxiety, I know, I love it. It's like my best friend's anxiety. But depression is so defeating and so heavy. And so it's a hard, it's a hard experience. Um, mm -hmm. And so ever since then, I was like, okay, I'm going to have, like, I'm going to do all the therapy. I'm going to have, you know, my team around me that's going to look out for me. I'm going to, my, my family, my, everyone knows kind of. And I was, you know, I did so well for so long. And then kind mm -hmm. of like during COVID towards the end, like I've been isolated. I've been like working my butt off and I got hit like pretty hard with depression again. Um, so like, like maybe like a couple of years ago-ish, I think, I don't know. Um, and I was, and, but I was able to recognize it so much earlier and be mm -hmm. called out so much earlier on it. And which was amazing. I still struggled for a very long time. It didn't mean that like, I didn't struggle, mm -hmm. but I started healing much quicker than I would have if I hadn't set up that support for myself um, to know that that's a possibility because with depression, like having mm -hmm. one experience to have a relapse is, you know, statistically likely. And so knowing that you want to prepare yourself and that it's okay. Um, and so I, I kind of, for myself now, I'm, I'm not depressed, thankfully, like, you know, anymore. And that's such a like, when you're in it, you don't think you'll ever get to that place. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's so amazing when you are and you can see like, it's, you don't want to ever go back there. And yeah. so it's just reminding yourself every single day to not take, you know, your well-being for granted mm -hmm. and to like continuously fuel yourself um, and never take anything too seriously. I think that's like really my big thing that I've had to learn is like, I used to take everything so seriously, like every mm -hmm. single obligation, every moment as a parent, as a wife, like every moment that I could feel bad about myself, it would be like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst person. Whereas it's just like, it's just a moment. It's a moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, and just starting to realize that in the blips and like taking things 
less intensely and seeing things as a whole more comprehensively um, and having more buckets. I think I used to have put all my energy into like one thing, right? Like I was only, let's say a clinician before COVID and a mom. And now I do like, I do more content creation. I do other things in addition to being a clinician. And I think for me, having multiple buckets has been really helpful in kind of separating and coming on and talking about this and doing a podcast like this is energizing in like a different way. And so it's really important for me and I think for people in general to like realize like the different things that fuel them and to make sure that you are fueling yourself, you know, regardless of circumstances on a regular basis. Yeah, it's having non-negotiables. I think for me, it's like workouts and eating right and taking care of just like having that time to de-stress and not go on social media. (laughs) Yes. I know you've spoken about that a lot, about how social media can fuel anxiety and perfectionism and everything else. Do you want to go into that a little bit? I mean, sure. I mean, I feel like because I am so, and you are too, like so active on it that I don't, it doesn't really fuel me anymore because I like don't, Mm -hmm. I can see like how how filtered it is I guess you know like how unreal it is um in many ways but I think people that maybe aren't as immersed in it it feels like this is reality and it's so far from reality that it's just I think that's really important that you know we our brains don't go through that filtering process in our head Mm -hmm. of like oh this is like being like shown only the highlights are being shown of their day not like all the hard moments and you know and so I think when we compare ourselves, I think that's the massive part where we can start to feel really bad about ourselves because we're comparing ourselves to highlight reels, filters, to even someone who's being vulnerable. Like, even as I'm being vulnerable, I am vulnerable, but I'm not sharing the deepest, darkest moments, right? It's mm-hmm. still like intentional vulnerability. Like, I'm protecting myself and not sharing everything. And I think that's important to note too. So, mm-hmm. even the people that are showing the messy parts, it's we're showing the messy parts that we're comfortable with. And I think that's really important to know. So, and I think being a clinician, I get to see that every person is struggling and human. And even the most buttoned up, perfect looking person, we're we're all struggling. We're all dealing with something. And so to compare to this external, um, you know, image is just, it's really unfair, right? So we're really Mm -hmm. basing it on this, this snapshot versus like, the whole dimension of like, what, what is the actual person like thinking and feeling, experiencing? What are they going through? We don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a blind comparison. And so I think just having all that logical information is so important and not letting yourself get sucked in or you're in it yeah. for like hours and then you start to lose any sense of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like even when I was struggling a lot, like it was so hard just because I felt like, I was surviving through my life while I saw everyone else living and going to concerts and doing all this fun stuff. And like, I didn't get to experience that because I was going through inpatient and then outpatient and dealing with anorexia. And just like, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of people that are struggling. Um, struggling what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, but I think also like, it's hard because I've worked inpatient too and not as, you know, I wasn't inpatient, but I worked mm-hmm. clinically inpatient. And I think what's hard is like you're you're told you have all this access to social media and it's like, you know, like 
you know what you're going to be faced with when you come out, like when you're out of that in, like mm -hmm. protective environment. And it's really hard because no one knows like how, how truly like so many people are truly struggling, even mm -hmm. the people online that are not saying anything about that. Um, there are so many people that aren't saying it, but are really, really, really struggling. And we yeah. don't take a moment to even consider that moment, you know, to consider that information. Yeah, and just as a side note, I was talking to my mom the other day because she was watching that show Intervention. Did you ever mm, see it? So fascinating. Yeah. I know, and she was saying it was so sad because it's very like it's like an eating disorder environment where you go through it inpatient and you're kind of secluded from the world. You can't be on your phones. You you don't have any triggers. Like I know for my place, they wouldn't let us wear leggings. They mm -hmm. wouldn't let us. You do don't see the things. scale, right? Everything is like protecting you. Mm -hmm. And then you get out, and it's like, oh my god! Like oh my I god. can do this. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I feel like that's the tough part. Is that I feel like there's there has to be a point to which people learn how to deal with triggers. I like yeah. That is a massive issue with um, mental health, like mm -hmm. inpatient, right? And I think mm -hmm. that. That's why like things have been created like PHP and IOP, like in an ideal world that like there's yeah. like this gradual step down. But in reality, you come up against insurance, you come up against like needing to have a job or get back to life. Like mm -hmm. most people can't take a year plus to dedicate to treatment and therapy that's going to end up costing a lot of money. Um, to get better. So I think the system is really messed up in the way that, like, I think in the beginning, it's so nice to be in that bubble. Mm -hmm. But then to, once you pop that bubble and you're out of it, it's like, oh my gosh, you're over, you're completely flooded. Yeah. I feel like as a patient's perspective or an ex-patient, I used to feel like so bad when I used to relapse or fail at things. Um, I almost felt like it was my fault. I, I feel like I carried a lot of shame and I think that's something that many other people can relate to today. Um, and I feel like that's one thing I just want to point out for people that are struggling. Um, it's just never your fault. Like sometimes what works for somebody else doesn't work for you. And just because you haven't found it yet doesn't mean that you're not able to get healthy or get better. Yeah, no, of course. And I think that's so important. Like that shame part, a lot of people, they don't talk about that part, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you get to the finish line. Well, no, it's like there is no yeah. finish line. You know, and I think that's something that's really important to like talk through and recognize and to really open up because there is that shame of like, and then hiding of like, well, I'm not doing well, mm -hmm. you know, and what do I do about that? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people deal with like the anxiety and the depression and everything else. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. lot. So what would be the best advice that you could give someone in tackling anxiety? I mean, you're the one who does it. It's like the screw and do it, like yeah. approach it. Like you've got it. Like there's like no workarounds. Like, there's, I mean, there's definite strategies and like physical, like breathing, all of that. But like number one thing is the thing that no one wants to hear, right? It's do the mm -hmm. thing that you're, that you're very anxious about. You can gradually approach it, which is like a gentler way of doing it. Um, so like if you're podcasting, it's like, oh, maybe I'll just start having a private account and like going on stories and no one's actually going to see it. And like, gradually work yourself up to like a podcast, you know, being a podcaster or like being on, you know, on a social media place or like going out in public, like you can gradually expose yourself to it. But the real, the real trick is you've got to do it. That's the only mm -hmm. way to prove to yourself and to the anxiety that you are able to do this because the anxiety is the bully in your head saying you can't do it. 
and it's, yeah. and it's driving the car and you're like, nope, I'm going to take back control here and we're going to change directions. Yeah. And I feel like one of the posts that you shared was about avoidance and how it's making your problem even worse. Cause the more that you avoid, then the more the list like just piles up and it just, I feel like it almost turns into like that depression. Like it turns into that hole you can't get out of. Yeah. It's a slippery slope for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what about perfectionism? Like, what would you suggest for that? Start to do things imperfectly, like show up and make mistakes and like kind of what we were saying, like, like preparing, like don't over prepare, like be okay, like not be okay, but actually like deal with the consequences of being imperfect, of making flaws. And, you know, for some people it's, 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 it's like intentionally making an error in your spelling. You know, if you're someone who's like going over like your text or your emails or putting a time limit on it. So like you can't reread it 75 times, um, but intentionally making mistakes, using the wrong word, even though, you know, it's mm-hmm. not the wrong word and like dealing with that feeling because over time, repeatedly doing that enough, you'll start to see that most of the time people do not notice. And if they do, they notice that you're human yeah. um, and that you made a mistake and Anyone that's going to judge you based on a spelling error or a word error is not your person. Um, and so I think it's really important to, to challenge it by doing the opposite of, of showing yourself that you can be imperfect. And the only one that you really are trying to like prove something to is yourself. And so mm-hmm. with perfectionism, and there is no, there's no finish line with perfectionism, unfortunately. So you'll never get there. There's never a moment where someone's like, I am perfect now. I am 100% perfect. Here's my gold star. So it's a losing battle and it's so much wasted energy. Like Mm -hmm. use that energy. Like I think once you start to like see that like your life is not going to fall apart, use that energy on the things that you actually care about and Mm -hmm. that deserve it because perfectionism sucks up so much energy. Yeah. And I feel like it prevents you from doing what you really want to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it gets even, in your way. Yeah, even with like eating disorders or like mm-hmm. any kind of addictions, it's like, oh yeah, like I gotta do this perfectly. Like I gotta journal, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And I feel like once I like drop that and just let myself do things imperfectly and mm-hmm. like allow myself just to screw up but then get back up, like I think that helped me just knowing that I could do that instead of just per- like expecting right, this. You don't have to be like the perfect <laughs> patient. You don't have to be the perfect, you know anything. I think that's like, it's so freeing. It is so freeing. Um, and, and to own it, right. Mm-hmm. To own that you don't need to be that person. And I know as a clinician, like that is such a big thing. And it's also a way of a thing that gets in the way of healing is because people will feel like I'm not doing the thing that they, t- we know that we talked about mm-hmm. doing. And so I'm not being the perfect client and there'll be so much shame. And I'm just like, oh, okay, you have a life, you're human, you didn't do it, or there's more there. That, that is, that's the process of mm-hmm. like dealing with what's underneath it. And so it can reveal a lot when you're not mm-hmm. like masking it. I think perfectionism is a great mask for some stuff that sometimes gets covered up. Yeah. And there's no like guidebook to life. Like you don't have a right way or a wrong way. It's mm-hmm. just your way. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is mm-hmm. liberating and also scary. Yeah. So would you say then that anxiety, depression, perfectionism are based on trauma? Or would you say that there are other causes as well? Um, there's definitely so many other causes. Um, trauma for sure is one, you know, you know, little, you know, 
could be like chronic traumas, little traumas, big traumas. Mm-hmm. Trauma for sure is one, but a lot of other things. Like you can, it can be the way that you, you know, the environment you grew up in, a lot of schooling, your genetic disposition and like the environment you're in can fuel it. Um, depression can happen due to circumstances. It can be due to a medication. It can be due to a lot of different things that can trigger something. They might have a genetic vulnerability and then it gets triggered by something. Um, Anxiety can be due to 1 billion things. Um, So the trauma is definitely there, but anxiety can be related to just, you know, your personality type, um, Mm -hmm. the environment you're in, the type of, um, like your culture, uh, your, like, there's just your family situation, your, the economics, like, there's just so many things that can trigger anxiety and be underneath it. Um, And sometimes it's a perfect storm. Um, It could be your health, right? Like, Mm -hmm. your thyroid is heavily involved in anxiety. There's just a lot of things that can be related. Um, And it might not be one thing, and it might be like, a multitude of things that aggregate. um, Mm -hmm. But definitely trauma you see with pretty much every type of mental health um, issue that we have trauma can be at the core of it um, which is why usually it's helpful to work on the trauma yeah I remember reading an article and it was saying that CBT does not work on anxiety caused by trauma Mm. is that correct or would you say that's wrong no, I definitely but it. I mean, the anxiety part, I mean, we're talking like it depends on what type of anxiety. Yeah. If we're thinking about what type of anxiety you're dealing with. But CBT is very effective in managing symptoms of anxiety. Is it going to manage if you're not doing trauma-focused CBT? Is mm-hmm. it going to heal the trauma? No, but it's going to, it can help you with the anxiety for sure. Um, so yeah, no, definitely not. Um, but and there is like trauma-focused CBT, so it, it mm-hmm. depends on what type. Um, and if you're not taking into account trauma, sure, like if someone's not asking about it and it's completely like forgotten about, yes. But most of the time, it is you know part of the process. Um, you want definitely want to work with a trauma-informed clinician. Yeah, and then when it doesn't work, then do you suggest like I know you said EMDR. I know you just started doing that. Can you explain yeah, like, so I- what that is? Yeah. So I actually, I did it. I did training for it before COVID and then I did it. And then I was like literally very young in it. And then COVID, I tried to be virtual doing it. And so it's not, I didn't find it to be as effective virtually. And so I really, I don't really do it anymore now, but I refer people to other people that are in person doing it because I do find it to be so effective at it's called I. It's EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, mm-hmm. which is fancy movement, fancy like terminology for focusing on like target memories of trauma. So like those really hard moments of trauma that you have imagery, you have beliefs, you have thoughts, you can kind of you go back to and you reprocess it by using bilateral stimulation, which is like eye movements, like right to left. It could be like tapping like this. So you want to. Um, activate the right and left hemisphere of your brain um, in terms of to help you to become a little bit calmer while you're approaching it and also to help you reprocess the memory in a way that you are today versus the way it's frozen in time because memories from trauma are usually frozen in time based on when you experienced it versus where you are right now and what you know right now Um, and so EMDR once you 
once you reprocess those those target memories and you really go through them, usually you see as a as a byproduct a lot less of what other other symptoms were on the surface, like anxiety or OCD or eating, you know, issues like that really is a control. Like you'll start to see changes there um, by targeting the trauma. And it, it's really effective. It's amazing. Um, depending on the case, right? Everything is kind of case specific and person specific, but there's a lot of modalities. Um, and EMDR specifically for trauma is wonderful. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening to this and who is just struggling with life and just having a hard time and just anxious or depressed or dealing with trauma, like what would be their first steps? Like what should they do? Yeah, I would say find a therapist to talk to. Um, if you have, if you want to use your insurance, call your insurance company um, and see who is in network and you're going to have to do some homework and you're going to have to call people and look mm-hmm. for, you know, there's definitely a, a massive deficiency in mental health resources right now and availability because mental health clinicians are just like completely at capacity on most of us. So it's hard um, in terms of that, but don't give up. There will be people um, and look for someone that you can meet with and talk through what's going on that you feel comfortable with. The number one thing in terms of change in therapy is the relationship between Mm -hmm. the clinician and the client. So if that is strong, you can get benefits and hopefully enough for that person, if you trust them and you're in a good relationship, will be like, I think you'd really benefit from this and can help mm-hmm. guide you and be like your, you know, like come back to me after you do work through like, you know, EMDR with this clinician or can help kind of be that person to help you on your journey. Um, but really getting educated on it uh, and more so than social media. So even though like even I have posts and stuff, which is great, but it's it's just one piece of information that can be interpreted a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. So you really want things that are personalized for you. Yeah, I feel like the connection is super important. Um, I haven't really had that with anybody that I have used, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like being able to connect to someone and to talk to them and to also just um, not kind of put it as a to-do list, checklist, like, oh, I got to yeah. go to therapy. Like, I think that's super important, like to actually be able to be open and vulnerable and honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's priceless. It mm-hmm. truly is. Once you find it's worth, it's like dating. It's mm-hmm. worth like looking and finding that person and finding that right fit because that right fit is, it can change everything. Yeah. And also not trying to be perfect as well. Yeah. Just yeah. be yourself. Just um. being, yeah, you've got, you have to be yourself. <laughs> you have to be raw, vulnerable, honest, cry, very messy. It's, it's an imperfect journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Wear waterproof mascara. <laughs> Definitely waterproof mascara. Mm-hmm. All right. So one of the things about this podcast is about being your best self and owning who you are. So what are the things that make you not a standard? Hmm, let's see. Um, I think that I am someone who like owns and shows as a clinician, a therapist, like my own mental health struggles is something that is not usually done mm-hmm. um, and is very much just true to my own journey, uh, as well as being kind of multi-passionate. Like I, I love doing multiple things and, and having multiple facets of my identity um, as a mom, as a wife, as a clinician, creative, writing. Like, I like doing it all. I don't want to ever fit into a box. Like, that's just mm-hmm. not not for me. And I think also I'm not scared of 
setbacks, result, like, like no um, failure. I see it as opportunities for growth. Like, yes, it hurts in the moment, but I won't, I don't let that fear get in the way of me taking action. Um, it kind of excites me yeah. the possibility. I love that. And I love your vulnerability. Like I, I think it's something that I truly respect on Instagram. It's like, it's just a fresh breath of air. Oh, like, thank you. Same awesome. with you. Yeah. yeah same with I you. And sharing the highs and the lows and the in and like the boring parts too. I think that's even the hardest part is like, oh my yeah. God, my life is so boring. Like it's not exciting or yeah. bad today. Yeah, nothing <laughs> like, is happening. <laughs> nothing is happening. So there we go. Yeah. So where can people go to learn more about you? I think I'm pretty present on Instagram for sure, which is Carolyn Rubenstein PhD. Um, and that's, I think, the main space, you know, where you can find all the stuff and I'm pretty on there, you know, all the time. Not all the time, though. Got to have boundaries. So, yes. <laughs> Love that. So yeah. I, I just wanted to end this podcast with one of your posts on Instagram that stuck out to me. It said, it's okay to show up late. And I want to share it with whoever is listening today because I think it's really easy to get stuck in this frame of mind because you struggled with X, Y, Z, or because you had this experience or because you didn't do everything you wanted by now, that the opportunity is gone and it's not. At any time, you can really say, screw it, you know what, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna change my life and experience those same things with even more appreciate appreciation than you ever would have. So I just wanted to share that because I think it's important and something that I've seen in my own life. Like I didn't do this whole like concert going thing until like my thirties and I didn't yeah. really have the same experiences as everyone else. And I think it makes me appreciate it so much more. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. So I saw that. I was like, I have to share this on my Aww. podcast. I loved it. Oh, um, good. So I just wanted to end this podcast and I hope everyone Thank follows you. Carolyn, subscribes to the show and Thanks. shares it until yes. next time. So thank you.